Open up your Bibles this morning to Mark's Gospel, the 15th chapter. We are now coming to the end of the book. We intentionally planned on ending this series at the crucifixion and the resurrection for obvious reasons. I'm going to begin reading page 852, Mark chapter 15, verse 1. You follow along as I read out loud. Mark records for us, as soon as it was morning, this is the morning after Jesus was arrested in the garden, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, you have said so. The chief priest accused Jesus of many things. Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, Pilate used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For Pilate perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered Jesus up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. They called together the whole battalion, and they clothed Jesus in a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on him. They began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him, kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes back on him. And they led him out to crucify him. As, and they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry Jesus' cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him a wine mixed with myrrh, but Jesus did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from that cross. 
So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked Jesus to one another saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling for the prophet Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed to give him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing Jesus saw that he died in this way, that he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. This is the word of the Lord, word of God for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. Let's take a minute and walk through this story. We know this story. We hear it every year, the crucifixion of Jesus. And that's actually one of the problems with stories like this. We know it so well. It doesn't speak to us the way that it should because there's nothing new here. But for something to have meaning and significance for us, it doesn't always have to be new. It doesn't have to shock us. We just need to be reminded of the truth that we know already in this passage. We know the details, but let's just review them again. Jesus is brought in for trial with the Romans. Jews have already decided, the council has decided that Jesus has to be killed. But they don't have the authority. Rome won't let them execute someone without their permission. So we've got to run Jesus by the Roman authorities and get them to sign off on his execution. Pilate begins to question Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you said it which was Jesus' way of affirming that is true. But then Jesus doesn't answer any more questions. He doesn't fight to defend himself. And his no answer there is important. It's significant. Because the prophets foretold that like a sheep before the shears is silent. Jesus would be that way. The Messiah would be that way. And Jesus fulfills this prophecy. Verse 5 tells us that Pilate is amazed. Because Jesus isn't defending himself. He knows he's being charged with a capital crime and he's facing death. And he's just standing there quietly, not defending himself. Pilate is amazed. Why? Because that's what people, they don't normally do that. This is the second time now in Mark's gospel that we're told that people are amazed at Jesus. Remember back in chapter 10 when Jesus was going toward Jerusalem, he'd announced that he was going to be killed, and then he starts marching toward Jerusalem. And we're told that they were amazed that he went toward Jerusalem knowing that that's where he's going to be killed. Twice we're told that Jesus does amazing things, not in his miracles, but in the way that he faced his own death. In verse 10 we're told in the passage... Pilate is an outsider. He's got no dog in this fight. And he could tell 
that the Jews were doing this because they were jealous of Jesus. They were envious. He could see that Jesus has not done anything wrong. Jesus, in verse 2, makes what Peter calls the good confession. He's asked, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, yep, you said it. Jesus knew that he was sealing his death. Jesus could have, he would have been tempted to say, me? Oh no, <laughs> I'm not him, right? Jesus could, would have been tempted to save his own skin and deny the truth of who he really was. That's what happened with Peter. Peter was afraid they were going to kill him, so he denied even knowing Christ. Jesus would have faced the same temptation. And when he was confronted, are you the Christ? He stood fast and said, yes, I am. You said it. He didn't deny it. This is huge. Knowing that this was going to lead to his death, he stood fast. That's a challenge for us today. Because how many of us are not willing to stand firm for Christ when it's not going to cost us our life? We're not going to be killed for our faith like Jesus was. Jesus, though, continues to push it. He admits the truth, he acknowledges that he's the Christ, and he pays the price for it. Interesting question comes out of this story, though, is why was Jesus punished? Why was he killed? If the supreme leader of that area, Pilate, recognizes that Jesus has not done anything wrong, why does he have Jesus beaten? Why does he have Jesus crucified? Three times in the text, we're told that Pilate says he's not done anything wrong. He doesn't deserve to die. And yet Pilate turns Jesus over to be killed. Well, the answer is found in verse 15. Why did Pilate do it? Why did he allow Jesus to be killed? To satisfy the crowd. It was politics. It was peer pressure on Pilate. He just wanted to keep them from being a riot. All right? And what we see even today, if people can't get what they want through normal means they'll threaten to riot. We'll just we'll, we'll force the issue. Well, that's what the people said. They were not going to back down. And Pilate said, well, the only way I'm going to get these people to, to calm down is to give them what they want. And so he does. Jesus then is led out. He's nailed to the cross. And once you get the picture of Jesus as he's hanging there, Mark tells us that the soldiers who were guarding the scene to make sure that no one came and stole Jesus off the cross before he died to rescue him, you had to post guards there to make sure the person actually died. While they're there, their compensation was that the Roman soldiers would get to keep the, the possessions of the condemned man. And so there's several soldiers there. They begin to decide who's going to get what of Jesus' property by casting lots, by throwing dice. They start gambling over the material things that Jesus owned rather than seeing the value that's found in Jesus himself. Is this not a picture of the blindness of the world? You understand Eternal life is right there. Jesus is dying 
to provide it. How do we know that they had access to that? Because one of the thieves on the cross, he reaches out and he gets it, doesn't he? Remember me when you get to your kingdom? He asks. So it's right there. But they're so focused on the material things that they could get that they miss the eternal. They miss the spiritual. But in the midst of that, as Jesus dies at the close of that passage that we read, the the head soldier, the centurion who was there, he said, surely this is the Son of God. He sees something in the way that Jesus dies and it moves him. Just like that thief to see in Jesus more than just a man who's dying. Now, of those two thieves, one of the thieves was ridiculing Jesus and saying, hey, if you're the Christ, get off that cross and hey, get me off too. Save us with yourself. He was looking at Jesus only for selfish reasons, what Jesus could do for him. The other thief knew he had, didn't have a leg to stand on, and he asked Jesus to have mercy on him. People, this is the gospel. We've been going week after week asking ourselves, what is the gospel? This is it right here. A thief hanging on a cross, condemned to die, who receives eternal life. Folks, is that not us? We deserve the the sentence of death because of our sin. But in a moment of grace and mercy, we can receive eternal life. This is the good news. This is the way to eternal life. This is what makes Good Friday good. And the gospel is seen in verse 38. Mark makes passing reference to this curtain in the temple that's torn in two. That curtain was the curtain that separated the holiest place in the center of the temple, the Holy of Holies, where that Ark of the Covenant, remember Indiana Jones? That's where that sat. But everyone was forbidden to go into that area except for the high priest once a year. And at the moment of Jesus' death, that curtain is torn. It wasn't a curtain curtain like we think of. It wasn't made of fabric. It was made of animal skins that had been sewn together. Have you ever tried to tear leather? Good luck with that, huh? Mark doesn't tell us that the curtain fell. It was torn. And then he gives us another detail. He says that it was torn from top to bottom. It's as if Almighty God took his finger and just went and just ripped it in two. And that is a picture of the gospel because this curtain is to keep sinful people out of the presence of God. And at the death of Jesus, God is saying, the curtain's gone. We can have access to God now through Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, this doesn't sound like good news if you look at it from the perspective of Jesus. This isn't good news for us. This is great news for us. But for Jesus, he died on a cross for that good news. But this is the way to life. 
This is the only way for us to have life. But let's go a little deeper with this while we're here. We're going to look at two other passages, so I need you to keep your Bibles open this morning. We're going to look at two other passages. Turn over to page 973 to Paul's letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. This is one of those verses that you ought to commit to memory. It's that important. All of Scripture is good. All of Scripture is important. But some verses speak to who we are and how we are to live even more than others. Galatians 2.20. Paul speaking here, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul speaking here about the death of Jesus says, but I've been crucified with him. He hadn't been. Paul wasn't there. Paul was still alive. How do we know Paul is still alive? Because he's writing this. That's how. But he said, I have been crucified with Christ spiritually. And the life I live, he's not saying that he's dead. He said, I've been crucified, but the life I have now, what does he say? Verse 20, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, this is the pattern for us. The gospel is seen in the death of Jesus. And we have made crucifixion all about Jesus and the gospel in Jesus' death. And it's true that the gospel is found in Jesus' death, but that's not the whole story. The good news is about us dying too. Our crucifixion with Christ. Well, what does a Galatians 2.20 life look like? What does a life that's crucified with Christ look like? Well, in Romans 12, Paul tells, in verse 1, Paul tells the people in Rome, he said that we are to present our bodies as a sacrifice to God. Not as a dead sacrifice, he says, but as a living sacrifice. The crucified life is where we see our life as given to God. Sacrificed for him. In the book of Acts, we see this again and again as the disciples finally come to grips with the fact that it wasn't just Jesus' death that was important. It's our death with him. As they go out and preach the gospel, what happens? They begin to get executed. They are persecuted as they spread the gospel. And they didn't just sit back and say, well, it's about his death. No, they said, we are crucified with him. We are sacrificing our lives for him. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. This is the gospel. Jesus wasn't kidding about this. Jesus said we are to lose our lives to find life. A Christian who's living the Galatians 2.20 life is someone who's allowing God to live through them. They're living their lives, their daily lives, 
in sacrifice to Christ. Now I want you to turn over to the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. John 12 on page 899. John 12, 23 reads like this. Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus uses a simple analogy, a simple picture to describe himself and what was going to happen to him. He said, my time to be glorified is now. And he said, a a grain of wheat all by itself is one grain. But if you take that grain and you plant it, it comes to fruition. It produces more seeds, more wheat. Jesus says, I'm going to die alone. But from that, something's going to spring up much bigger. What Jesus is saying here is true in our lives as well. We can hold on to our lives and die alone and die a meaningless death. Or we can plant our lives and die to self and have that spring up into life in other people. This is critical. It's critical that we understand the good news is not just about Jesus' death. It has to be about our death too. But there's a problem. There's actually three problems this morning that I want to look at. There's three problems with how we do Christianity today that's keeping us from living out what Jesus is teaching here. Write these down. Problem number one. We have made Christianity about levels. To us, there are different levels of Christians. Now, if you believe in Jesus, you're a Christian. And that's one level. Now, to be sure, there are other Christians too. There are Christians who go to church every Sunday, or almost every Sunday. In addition to those first level Christians, those, you know, those who are just interested in getting out of hell. They want their get out of hell free card. That's it. Then you have other Christians who they come to church regularly. They don't do a whole lot, but they're in church every week, pretty much. They try to be good people. They don't do much of anything in the church except attend. Then there are other Christians who serve the Lord, they work in the church, they do things in the church, they serve others. Some of them become ministers, some of them become missionaries around the world. These are people who've taken Christianity to a whole new level. What's the problem? All three of these levels, to us, they have one thing in common. They're all Christians. 
You can be a low-level, get-out-of-hell-free Christian. You can be a church-attender Christian. Or you can be a strong-serving Christian. One of them. But they all have one thing in common. They're all Christians. They're all going to heaven. That's the problem. Jesus never teaches that. That's not what it means to be a Christian. It's a lie that we have created that all you have to do is believe in Jesus and that's it. And you can be a Christian. It goes flatly against what Jesus taught. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? And Jesus was saying that in the context, of, it doesn't do you any good to call him Lord if you're not going to obey him. You see, there is no path to life that doesn't go through the cross. Not Jesus' cross alone, also our cross. There's no such thing as a Christian who simply believes in Jesus, and that's it. And the path of the cross is not simply the path for pastors and missionaries. You see, the problem is too many of us believe in Jesus, but we don't believe Jesus. Let me tell you what I mean by that. We believe that Jesus is the Christ. We believe that he died for our sins. That's believing in Jesus. But we don't believe Jesus when he says, you've got to follow me and take up your cross and die. We don't believe that. We don't believe that we have to die to live. And that's a huge problem, people. Because that's not what Jesus taught. And we've, what we've done is we've created this other gospel that's not the truth, that all you've got to do is believe in Jesus. Have you ever witnessed to somebody and you said, well, you've got to believe in Jesus, and they say, I do. And you look at them and say, not by the way I'm seeing you live. But we've lowered the bar so much and we've created these different levels of Christianity. We've made a mess of the whole thing. Problem number two. We've made Christianity about our own comfort. Goodness, people, look at the stuff we pray about. Oh, God, help me. I've got a cold. I'm really sick. I've been sick for weeks. You're going to get okay, all right? Calm down. Sometimes, though, we pray for, for significant things, really serious stuff. My cable is out. No, folks, I'm serious. My cable's out. I got up this morning. My cable's not on. Jim, what am I going to do? I can't watch basketball this afternoon. I'm going to have to go to Best Buy and watch it there. I'm, I'm rebooting the, the, the modem. I'm doing all this stuff. My cable's out. And I'm praying, God, I need my cable this afternoon. I'm going to miss basketball. What am I going to do? We've made Christianity about our own comfort. Our own life being enjoyable. But the way of the cross is costly. The way of the cross is painful. 
If we are looking for a path to follow Jesus that's not costly and is not painful, then we aren't looking for the right path. The path of following Christ is not supposed to be about a joyride to a comfortable life. There's an amazing passage in Colossians 3 where Paul is asking the people to pray for him and those who are with him because they're in prison. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul says, pray for us that God would open a door for us to share the word. I read that a, a few months ago and I'm looking at it. These guys are nuts. They're in prison. And you know what they don't pray for? To get out of prison. They're in prison and they say, we want God to open the door so we can share the word. And if you read the, the whole text in the book of Acts, Paul did. While they had him chained up in prison, chained to a guard, he witnessed to all the guards. And from history we know that the Roman guards worked four-hour shifts. They'd be chained to the prisoner for four hours, then four hours somebody else would be chained. And so for 24 hours every day, Paul had six different guards chained to him. And so he would witness to one for four hours, and that guy would say, okay, my time's up, and they'd chain another guard to him. And Paul said, okay, let me start from the beginning again. He'd start witnessing to that guard. And he actually praises God in Philippians chapter 1. He praises God. He says, everybody in the prison guard has heard about Jesus. Why? Because Paul is telling them about Jesus. If that was us, we'd be, oh, God, get me out of jail. God, I'm, you've forgotten about me. Paul saw himself on a mission to preach the gospel. And whether he was free or whether he was in jail, there were people who needed to hear the gospel. And he wasn't praying for his own comfort. He was praying for the word of God to be spread. You see, to separate Jesus' death from our death is to preach a different gospel. They go together. And what we've done is we've made coming to Christ uh, this appeal. Come to Christ and get free stuff. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to have a, a blessed marriage. God wants you to have a job. We've made it all about us. The gospel is not about come to Jesus and get free stuff. Jesus said, come to me and die. Come and die to live. We've lost that. Today, we run away from sacrifice. We run away from suffering. Which means we're running away from life. Because that's the plan. That is the path of being a Christian. You see, we want the benefits of following Christ. We just don't want to follow Christ. Look at the things that we will point to as proof that we're sacrificing for Jesus. Ask anybody what they do for God, and they'll say, well, I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. All good things, to be sure. But aren't those the things we ought to be doing anyway? 
to be with God because we love God, not because that's service to God. Imagine your spouse complaining that you never do anything for her anymore. Imagine what she would say if you looked at her and say, what are you talking about? I'm with you all the time. We've made coming to church the highest form of Christian service. It's not Christian service, folks. We're missing the point. Coming to church, reading our Bibles, praying, it's like being trained. It's being built up. It's being educated for us to do what we're really called to do, which is to go out in the world and preach the gospel. Think of it this way. Imagine that you're hired for this job. And the first thing they tell you is, we need to send you off for two weeks of training. So you go. And you get trained. You learn everything you're supposed to. Is it good to be trained? Of course it is. Imagine six weeks later, the boss comes in. He says, we got a real problem. You're not doing anything. Imagine what your boss would say is, what are you talking about? I was trained. I went away for two weeks training, remember? The boss is going to look at you and say, we didn't send you away for training simply so you could be trained. We sent you away to be trained so you could do something. Coming to church is training for us to go do what we're supposed to, which is to die for Christ. To tell others about Him. If you've been living your life basically for yourself, then you're not dying for Christ. Because dying means something. Sacrifice means something. We say we've died with Christ, but we're living for ourselves. We're claiming that we're sacrificing our lives when we don't give anything up. Well, at Lent, we'll give up chocolate. Now that's suffering. As if God is up in heaven and saying, wonderful, they're not having chocolate for 40 days. We've missed something, people. Jesus is being abundantly clear. We've taken words that have meaning and we've made them meaningless. To die with Christ means nothing. To sacrifice for Christ means nothing. Remember what Jesus said to Peter. Jesus predicted that he was going to be killed. And Peter said, no, you're not. I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Remember? You have in mind the things of men. You don't have in mind the things of God. People, that's us today. When we hear Jesus saying that we have to die too, we're like, no, we don't. Not because we have in mind the things of God, but because we have in mind the things of us and what we want. And we're missing the boat. Problem number three. 
we have made witnessing for Christ about getting people to believe in God. So we run around and say, don't you believe in God? And we'll pull out our Bibles and we'll show them scriptures and you gotta believe in God. We'll push them to believe in Jesus. But we're not called to go out and tell the world to believe in propositions, in statements of truth. Because you can say you believe that there's a God, but so what? James says in James chapter 2 that even the demons believe. Big deal. But then it's worse. We hold up a Bible and say, you got to believe the Bible. Even as we're pulling out whole pages that say that we have to sacrifice our life for Jesus and we throw those away. The reason we're not having an impact on our world and telling them about Jesus is they don't see Jesus in us. They don't see a commitment to Christ in us. What they see are faithful church attenders. And we, they, we go to them and say, you gotta believe in God. You gotta, you gotta go to church. And I'm like, that's not gonna cut it for me. Life is not found in going to church. You can go to church every Sunday and be as lost as the man on the moon. Coming to church is about worshiping the God that gave His Son for us. This is We're not here to get points, people. We're not here to get points from God. We've been blessed with eternal life through Jesus Christ, and we're here to give worship to God. But when you leave these doors, that's when you go to serve. That's when you go to sacrifice. And because people around us do not see us sacrificing, they don't get it either. We're called to come and to die. Jesus' death serves a purpose. It brings eternal life for the world. But our death does something too. We don't die for other people's salvation. We can't do that but we can die serving the one who did die to bring salvation. And when people in our lives see that we are so committed to Christ, we're willing to lose everything for Him, that will say something to them. God uses our suffering to bring other people to life. God uses our suffering for good. We may not see it. But we believe that God works good out of our sacrifice. In these passages we've been looking at over the last month, Jesus is giving us a peek into our future. If you're a Christian, you will suffer. If you're a Christian, you will give up for Christ. And if you're sitting here, and you're not sacrificing for Christ if you're not living for Him. What Paul said in Galatians 2, I'm crucified with Christ. I've died. It's not my life anymore. If you're not living that life, then you're not a Christian. You've been fooled. And I don't want to have a phony Christianity. Christianity. 
putting my hope in something that Jesus said was hopeless. And then standing before God someday and saying, but I believed in Jesus. I went to church. I read my Bible. I prayed. We are called, Jesus said again and again, to take up our cross and follow him. If that isn't in your future, then you don't have a future in heaven. And for me to tell you something else is to just be a big fat liar. And I am here to tell you the truth of God's word. Now you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to look at your life. Have you bought into the lie that you can be a Christian who doesn't sacrifice for God? Then I'm calling you today to repent of that sin and start following Christ. I'm calling you to stop being a church attender. Stop just trying to be a good person. Come and die with Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful today for the challenge that we have heard. God, we've seen ourselves in these words today. We have taken the uncompromising word of Jesus where He says we have to come and die to find life. And we've twisted it into we can blow an hour at church once a week and call it good. God, I pray that You'd break our hearts that we've taken the good news of Jesus Christ and we've twisted it into a lie. God, I pray that You'd convict hearts right now. People who've been convinced in many cases for decades that they're true Christians when they're not sacrificing for You. Help us to see that we are to die with Christ. To live for Him in our daily lives. To see that our life does not belong to us, but it belongs to You. And God, I pray that as we leave, that we would leave living the crucified life that everyone around us would know that we're more than just believers in Christ. We believe Christ when He said we've got to die. Use us to reach our world before it's too late. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.